Welcome to Layer Zero. Layer Zero is a podcast of unscripted conversations with the people that make up the Ethereum community. Ethereum is built by code, but it's composed by people, and each individual member of the Ethereum community has their own story to tell. Cypherpunks knew that the code that they write impacts the people that use it, and Layer Zero focuses on the people behind the code because the Ethereum is people all the way down, and it always has been. Today, I'm talking with Kevin Owaki, the leading mind behind the whole Gitcoin project and one of the biggest, most vibrant proponents of public goods that I know of. Uh, and I obviously have a ton of respect for Kevin Owaki as one of the guys that has really helped me formulate my mental models and ideas about like what this whole crypto thing is and why it's meaningful for just the, and why it allows you to be bullish on humanity. Um, Bankless listeners will remember Kevin from our Slang Moloch episode, which um, is referenced in the show a few times. And if you like the conversation this, that I'm having here with Kevin, that is definitely a fantastic follow-up follow episode to you to listen to, to get more of the same type of conversations. Um, Kevin is a guy who wears many, many hats uh, he is a software developer, he is a, an entrepreneur, he's a business leader, and then he also reminds me during the show that he's also a community manager, in addition to a father and a husband and a bike rider and a Coloradian. Um, but uh, I focus on the first four that I listed, and because Kevin has built so much in this space, not only with what he's been building at Bitcoin, but just being a general contributor both to the, the discourse and conversation around Ethereum, as well as contributor of actual software that we use in the open source world. So immense respect for Kevin. Kevin, thanks for coming on the show. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get right into the show. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Living a bankless life requires taking control of your own private keys, not your keys, not your crypto. That's why so many in the bankless nation already have their ledger hardware wallets, which makes proper private key management a breeze. But the Ledger ecosystem is more than just a secure hardware wallet. Ledger is the combination of the Ledger hardware wallet and the Ledger live app. And if you're used to seeing all of your crypto services and favorite dApps all in one place, Ledger is where you want to be. Not only does Ledger let you buy crypto assets straight from the app, but it also hooks into decentralized exchange aggregators like Paraswap, which makes sure that you are getting the best prices on your trades without your assets ever leaving your control. DeFi never stops growing and the Ledger Live app grows alongside with it. So click the link in the show notes to see all the DeFi apps that Ledger Live has and stay tuned as more and more apps come online. And if you don't have a Ledger hardware wallet, what are you even waiting for? Go to ledger.com, grab your ledger, download Ledger Live, and get all of your dApps all in one place. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that is going to completely change how we use DeFi. If you've been using Ethereum for the past 12 months, you've probably noticed the high gas fees and the slow confirmation times that have been plaguing DeFi. Too many people want to use Ethereum and it doesn't have enough capacity for all of us. That's where Arbitrum comes in. Arbitrum is a layer two to Ethereum, which means Arbitrum can increase Ethereum's throughput by orders of magnitude at a fraction of the cost of what we are used to paying. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of security and decentralization. This is why people are calling this Ethereum's broadband moment, where we get to add performance onto decentralization and security. If you're a developer and you want to save on gas costs and make an overall better experience for your users, go to developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building on Arbitrum. 
If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps building on Arbitrum. Arbitrum has been working with over 300 teams, including Ethereum's top infrastructure projects, and will be opening up to all users shortly. There are so many apps coming online to Arbitrum, so you may want to pack your bags in preparation for the great migration to the Arbitrum Layer 2. To keep up to speed with Arbitrum, follow them on Twitter at Arbitrum and join their Discord. Hey, Kevin. What's up? Hey, David. Thanks for having me. Oh, glad to have you here, man. What do you want to talk about today? Uh, uh, layer two. This this podcast is called Layer Two, right? <laughs> yeah, we focus on scaling, <laughs> scaling only. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, no, I think the the name of this podcast, Layer Two, is is really interesting. Uh, layer zero is the humans of Ethereum. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's humans all the way down. And uh, I've always had mad respect for for what you're you're doing because. To me, the whole like funding public goods side of Ethereum is like almost everything else, like DeFi, speculation, NFT, JPEGs is like kind of a means to an end just mm -hmm. to like spin up the flywheel that ultimately becomes funding public goods. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really exciting. So Gitcoin's mission is to uh, build open source software to build and fund the open web. And it's been a lot of fun to help builders get into the space. And then once they're in the space, make sure that they can get coins for their work mm -hmm. in the space. And um, when I was at ETHCC, I, I think I saw you at ETHCC maybe once or twice. I had maybe a dozen or two dozen people come up to me and say, hey, thanks for creating Gitcoin. It created my first opportunity in the space or it affected my career in this or that way. So in a way, layer zero is is where Gitcoin is focused. It's on helping builders find places to work for public goods and get paid for that work. Hey, like both me and Ryan, before Bankless was Bankless, both me and Ryan were getting Gitcoin grants. And this mm -hmm. is always how I tell people, it's like the Gitcoin grant model was like the first way that I was actually able to receive input from the market that my work was valued and mm -hmm. that I could actually turn that into something that I could like actually generate like a livelihood with. And I wouldn't have had that opportunity had it not been Gitcoin uh, funding mm -hmm. people, people funding other people. Totally. Yeah. And I got into this space sort of aiming to help software engineers be able to quit their corporate jobs and work on open source software. And then also to some extent, be able to work on public goods and stuff that didn't have a business model instead of ICOs in 2017. But it was kind of a happy accident to see media people like yourself and like Sassel and Ethub all start to use Gitcoin grants. And I think that um, it was kind of a happy accident that we pioneered, or, well, Vitalik pioneered quadratic funding, we just implemented it, but that it works for open source, which is a public good, but also journalism, which is a public good for the space. Right, yeah, it seemed to be kind of like a, like a breakthrough moment where, maybe, maybe you can elaborate on this, but like you said that it was a happy accident, as in like, Gitcoin didn't intend or think to really fund anything that wasn't like developer and coding and software, um, hmm. software focus, but instead just like at some point people just used this thing to the market just chose the, the outcome of this thing. And all of a sudden, like it turned to Gitcoin into a, not just a software funding platform, but just a funding yeah. platform for anything. Yeah, totally. Relevant. Well, I mean, the, the genesis story of is, is that I've been a software engineer all of my career. And the idea behind Gitcoin was, hey, what if we can use this crypto economics thing to fund open source software? Right now, open source software doesn't have a business model, creates $500 billion per year in economic value. 
and and there's no business model if you're an open source software developer. And so it just felt like an asymmetry between value created and value captured. And the fact that there was billions of dollars of capital, now trillions of dollars of capital, sloshing around in this in this financial system that's open source meant that instead of that money going to some back office on Wall Street to do IT stuff, that it would go to open source software. And so that was sort of the idea behind Gitcoin. And you know, I, I think journalism is great. And I think that there's a lot of really other good public goods. Privacy is another digital age private good that public good that I care a lot about. Mm -hmm. And um, we had nothing against those niches. It just we really wanted to focus on software development. And um, yeah, the pivot, it's not really a pivot because we support both audiences, but I think came from Gitcoin grants, maybe around three or four. I think that Vitalik realized that oh my gosh, we can get more people talking about Gitcoin grants and therefore more funding for open source software if we support all these bloggers and people who are creating public goods in this sort of journalism space in, in Ethereum. And so it's kind of a happy happy marriage where I think like having L2 clients and ETH2 clients on one end sort of legitimizes the journalism and the journalism brings more eyeballs into the funding of the open source software. So it's been it's been... In that sense, it was a happy accident. So, Kevin, here's here's a question for you. Did you care about public goods before Ethereum? Or, like, when was the first moment where you were like, oh, public goods, I like those things, and I want to help those things grow? Yeah, it's not, like, a real natural thing, I think, for people to come to a moment like that unless yeah. they're studying economics, maybe. But for me, there was... Uh, I've been a technology entrepreneur basically since since I was 23, and I went through Techstars, learned how to run a engineering shop there, and and ran an online dating website basically for the first five years of my career. And every time I wanted to do something new for that online dating website, if I wanted a new, uh, to install a database server, I didn't write my own database server. I used an open source one. It was my SQL. Um, and then when I wanted to build a web server, I didn't write my own. I used Apache or later Nginx. And so I think with open source software, we're kind of standing on the shoulders of giants insofar as there's so much value created by open source software developers. And as a technology entrepreneur, I was just deriving so much value for open source and really understood the power of it as open source came to prominence, as GitHub came to prominence. This is before Git, Gitcoin. And over the last 10 years, I just kind of jumped from technology to technology startup to technology startup. And everywhere I went, open source software was something that was used. It was something that we recruited on. It was something that we virtue signaled about, but we never really gave back at any of those startups. And so it was open source software and the sort of like visceral experience of having that, of working on open source software through the last 10 years. And then the idea of an open source financial ecosystem combined that was the genesis of Gitcoin. And so I just have that that sort of personal experience with open source software. And that was the first public good that I really, really appreciated. It was later conversations with Vitalik and other economist nerds in the space that sort of turned me on to the wider world of public goods, things like journalism, which is really important for making an informed public or clean air, which is really important if you don't want to have lung cancer. There's just so many public goods in the world. And it was that was sort of how it all snowballed for me. So when you were developing your, your dating website, which I definitely want to unpack that later, um, <laughs> uh, and, then, and then all the other like, things you were doing uh, with software development, when you would go and tap into public goods, were you like cognitive, were you like consciously aware of what was going on as like, oh, 
I wouldn't be able to do this because of this open source software. Thank you, developers that came before me. Or was it just like, oh, I'll just go to, I don't know where you go, to the, the library of open source software and just mm -hmm. pull out a book. And like, was it a cognitive thing? It's like, oh, thank God that this yeah. is here. Or was it more just a mindless thing where you didn't really realize, you know, how yeah. awesome this thing is? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, my first startup, the date, the dating site, it was like twenty three year old CTO, and like you have no business being chief anything at the <laughs> age of twenty three, and um, I was just trying to keep up with everyone else, and I was trying to get good at shipping software, and so you spend a lot of time on Hacker News, you go to meetups with other technology entrepreneurs, and you try to learn from them, and they were all leveraging open source software, and and yeah, GitHub is kind of like a. a a library you pull a book off the shelf and you install it in your repo and you don't think much more about it you don't think about the maintainer behind that software until you have to file a bug and then they don't respond to it and so that was kind of the experience with open mm. source but when you're a technology entrepreneur like we had we had like three months of runway left at some points in that company and i wasn't thinking about supporting public goods at that point i just wanted to ship and i wanted my ceo to be happy so that our investors could be happy and so we could survive and so that was the job to be done for a technology entrepreneur that leverages open source but maybe doesn't give back you've always said that open source doesn't have a business model and that f i mean i understood it but now I, what you just said makes me understand it like a lot more in the sense that like oh yeah yeah, like they, we have all these people touching this product, which is free, uh, and then mm -hmm. there is a maintainer, or maybe not. Maybe it's just been mm -hmm. abandoned. Um, I always like this question: when, if you can envision a world in which like Gitcoin is maximally successful, or just a like business models yeah. for open source is maximally successful, like what would that world look like? Yeah, so I mean, if you go to gitcoin.co slash results, you can see our live results page. And I'm super proud that we've always been metrics driven and KPI driven. We've delivered $32 million worth of funding to open source software, which, you know, when we crossed a million, I was like, yo, this is legit. We're going to make an impact on the world. But then I quote that stat of how $500 billion per year in economic value is created by open source. And just do some math. There's maybe three orders of magnitude, a thousand X per year from here until until we're maximally successful. And I think that, that what that world looks like is people coming out of school and just working for the open internet, people quitting their jobs at JP Morgan Chase and working for the open internet. And hopefully systemically, more people are building infrastructure, digital infrastructure, and less people are going to projects that extract value. So I think more ETH2 clients and less avatar PFP projects coming out of the Ethereum space. So that's what, that's what I think a world of Gitcoin being maximally successful looks like. And then the secondary effect of more people working on our digital infrastructure is a more solid digital infrastructure. So no more bugs in open SSL that cause the secure contents of all these servers to be dumped to the open internet. Um, the there was this, uh, this maintainer of an NPM package that just got burnt out and was tired of all the support requests. And so they're like, they posted on their forum, hey, I'm gonna give up this package, who wants to maintain it? And they found someone who wanted to maintain it. Well, that person ended up injecting malware into that NPM package and every downstream site that used it. And so stuff like that will not happen anymore. Black Swan events where open source maintainers get burnt out would not happen anymore if Gitcoin was maximally successful. So if if like we vision, if, if you uh, get uh, GitHub as like a, a library, I'm kind mm -hmm. of also getting like a kind of kind of a Legos vibe too, right? So like if we have mm -hmm. all these open source packages of software, books of software, 
And then yep. if there's a lot like, and there's some of them, I'm some of, some of them have been created very much out of just demand. And someone's like, right. all right, we all, all developers have this problem. I'll fix the problem, post it to GitHub. Now other people can use it yep. and then boom, now we have something open source without mm -hmm. that. Whatever level of that that we have now is a fa function of having that before we have a business model behind open source software. And so like mm -hmm. once we unlock a business model behind open source software, like we can actually incentivize the creation of these like software Legos. And then mm -hmm. like, perhaps like it illustrate, it asks, it begs the question, like, is the internet even close to be remotely close to being like a done, which it never is. But like, imagine mm -hmm. how much progress the internet itself and all of the things on top of the internet have gotten off of yeah. not having public goods funding for open source software. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, the motivations to contribute to open source are basically you're doing it for exposure, you're giving it to bit give back, and sometimes you can find a job that will, you know, maybe Google is at the scale where 0.1% of their their person OPEX can go back to contributing to open source, but even then it's just a virtue signal for them. Uh, oh, one other thing about this world where Gitcoin is maximally successful, probably software repositories will not be hosted on GitHub, they'll be hosted on something peer-to-peer -peer like Radical. R-A-D-I-C-L-E is a name of a tool in the Ethereum ecosystem called called Radical, and it's actually a peer-to-peer -peer GitHub. So they're trying to build the collaboration layer for software that isn't owned by Microsoft. And a lot of people say, hey, Kevin, are you trying to disrupt GitHub? And I'm actually not. We're, we're trying to build an incentive system for open source software. We're not trying to replace the collaboration layer. And it just so happens that I met these other entrepreneurs, Ellie uh, and Abby at Radical, that are trying to build that. And so uh, I think the interoperability between Gitcoin and Radical is something that you'll see in that world as well. And hopefully most of the software designers are not going to be using a centralized service like GitHub in that world. They'll be using something like Radical. Mm. Mm. Very cool. Very cool. I would imagine just like the, another conversation to have about like what happens when we can finally figure out how to like increase the order, increase like the availability of open source quality, open source software by orders mm -hmm. of magnitude. Like once that happens, like, the, the cost of producing something on the internet like drops significantly and the ease yeah. of either uh, the ease of implementing it goes down and like maybe it actually gets to the point where like the technical knowledge to create something really really cool on the internet like mm. drops away from actually even needing to code right like at some point like the yeah. internet can be created by like drag and drop like systems or, or yeah. which is not don't take that literally but like just illustrative of what could happen when just like yeah. Costs, costs and complexity keep on getting dropped because we keep on building open source things on top of open source yeah. things. Totally, and and the progress becomes exponential. So right. basically every new money Lego that gets added to the Ethereum open source world means that there's a new possibility that I can build when I walk into a hackathon. I like to say that you walk into an Ethereum hackathon today and you can get enough software off the shelf to build something during the weekend as three hackers that some bank 10 years ago would have to have 100 people and $20 million worth of budget to build with closed source because there's this exponential ability to just pull new Legos off the shelf and every new Lego creates a new permutation of something that can be built. And so I think we're going to see exponential. This is this is why I think the open source financial system is going to beat the closed source one is because progress is just exponential in it. You can build things so much faster with with open source libraries than you ever were able to in the old financial system. So that's what makes me almost certain that DeFi is going to beat out TradFi eventually. Cool. Cool. 
And I mean, I think everyone listening can probably like understand that. Like we talk about DeFi money Legos all the time. And that's just mm. like the economic financial side of open source software. Like that's not even just like all the other parts of the internet too. But like now that we have the open source financial side, that's probably mm. what we needed to unlock the business modeling of like the rest of the internet. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Cool. So now I want to get into like tech stars. <laughs> Can you tell us your tech star story? Yeah. So um, I let's see. So my entrepreneurial journey kind of started when I was in when I was in high school. I was working as a cashier at a supermarket, and this is like when I was like sixteen or seventeen. And I had this friend who was running a web hosting company and making like four hundred dollars a day. Which you're 17 in right. or the early 2000s is a lot of money, and I was like, "Yo, you got to cut me in on this. I I can pro like I can program. I was always kind of a programmer kind of kid, and he did. And my friend, his name was Mike. He was on my street hockey team, and he showed me the ropes of how to basically rent servers from um, Rackspace, or it was called Rack Shack back then, and we would pay like a hundred dollars per month for servers, and then we would just sell web hosting to people across the world for something like $50 per year. So like you hit a break even point where you've, you've sold a certain amount of web hosting and, and I was in and, and I got to the point with it where I quit my, my job at the supermarket. Just reselling, I, just purchasing, marking up and reselling. Yeah. Putting a brand on it. Yeah. And, and like, by the way, I'm competing with all these web hosting companies that have like a staff of 30 and I'm just like some kid by parents house. You know? <laughs> so I've like, I've like no cost. I could undercut everyone. And, um, <laughs> And there were there were shifts at the supermarket where I would make, I would make twice as much online during my shift than I would at the supermarket, uh, and I was like, well, you know, f this noise, I'm quitting, and <laughs> and I just and and I kind of ran that, and I was 17 and I didn't know anything, I ran it into the ground, and and so I kind of gave up on that, and and I got my computer science degree from University of Delaware, and. After that, the corporate career services just ushered us into corporate America. This is Delaware, and like all these banks are located in Delaware. And so they're just trying to hit their KPI of graduates that they place. And I'm a computer science major, and so I'm an easy mark to just go place at a bank, you know? Um, and so I, I, I go work at a bank when I'm 23. This is like I graduated with a degree in computer science in 2006. Wow, you're the, you're the second guest on Layer Zero that worked at a bank. <laughs> Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. There's, there's, and now I'm on a podcast called Bankless. So yeah. There we go. But anyway, so I was so miserable at my corporate job. I mean, imagine going from being 22 and hanging out with your ultimate frisbee friends, going to tournaments on the weekends, and then all of a sudden you have to spend your your Tuesday morning at the coffee maker talking to some 47 year old about their kids and like soccer practice and stuff. I was just the culture was not right. I hated how hierarchical it was. I hated the technology, and I was looking for anything else. And so. Um, Around then, the Facebook platform came out, the Facebook API. It was like when Facebook apps launched. And um, and and I ended up launching this like Flash Games website. And again, was making more money off of Flash Games than I was off of my, uh, off of my corporate job. And I was like, oh, I got to, like, this is a sign. I have to get out. I have to do something else. And this is, this is 2006. Was Flash Game, like advertisements? Just ads everywhere. Ads. ads everywhere I could put like find pixels. I would put ads, and you know I was like 23. I didn't know how to build a scalable business, but I did know how to get eyeballs in 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 Sell ads, and right. stuff like that. So um, so that got ran into the ground again, and I was like, it was a sign to me that I needed to do something else. And this is 2006. This is before I think 
things are really like it was still the nuclear winter after the 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 dot-com boom anyway so i'm getting to it i'm i'm sending my resume out to anywhere i can i'm looking for anything besides corporate america and i find these two guys from new york city who are looking to run an online dating website which i think is a little bit scummy at first but you know it was a ticket out of corporate america and they had just gotten into tech stars which was this this seed stage accelerator program for for up-and-coming entrepreneurs and their cto had just dropped out and so I was like, oh, this is my golden ticket. Like Willy Wonka style, this is this is <laughs> how I'm going to do it. And um, I went from being in corporate America wearing a suit and tie every day to just wearing a t-shirt and hanging out with Brad Feld and David Cohen and trying to build this online dating website. And it was just one of the two inflection points in my career. One was getting out of corporate America and into startups. And the second is out of startups and into crypto. And that was a huge one. That dating site was not successful, but I learned a lot about how to run technology startups from that. Wait, so... How where where did TechStars come into that? Um, so TechStars was the startup that I got a job offer from. Mm-hmm. They had already been accepted into TechStars, but they needed a CTO, and I was looking for any path out of corporate America. Oh, and okay, okay. TechStars Wait, was I thought TechStars. Yeah. Tech am I wrong in thinking that TechStars is like American Idol, but for tech startups? Um, I didn't do any singing. Um, yeah. No, it's like <laughs> it, it's no. They take they take ten startups per cohort per season and mm-hmm. they basically put them through uh month one is like what is your business what are you trying to build month right. two is building and then month three is they put you in front of a bunch of investors vcs and angel investors and then you you pitch and then you graduate so it's kind of like an mba in a summer for tech startups oh wait is this not like a reality tv show no there's no oh because well, uh, you told me later... this story forever ago and i thought that this was like some sort of like yeah you <laughs> would build a t like a tech product but you would also like be interviewed by people like on camera or something is that not at all the, like, yeah. the right way to vision it yeah no it's a tech stars i think they consider themselves to be on the in the echelon of y combinator tile style <laughs> oh my god and i they... thought this was in entertainment <laughs> yeah and so but they later did launch a reality tv show about tech startups, which I don't think did all that well, but their main business was the way it works was that they gave you $6,000 for a summer and you gave them like 6% of your equity. And then they only made money on you if your startup was successful, which was their way of aligning incentives. And so I learned everything that I know from the tech stars network and I'm super thankful to them for giving me my start. Yeah. That's, that sounds like a kid who figured out how to make money via developing software and tinkering on the internet twice. A dream come mm-hmm. true. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And this is before startups were cool. Like before 2008, I would describe finance as being cool. And then we had the implosion within 2008. Right. And I think the like, geek became chic again with that and the rise of web 2.0. Okay. So between Techstars and Ethereum, what happened in that gap of time? Uh, ran the online dating website for five years, raised oh, five like some years. VC. Okay. Yeah. I stuck around. Um, we, we raised VC money, but we didn't figure out how to monetize it and it all just imploded in spectacular fashion. Um, I mean, I was aqua hired. My resume says I was aqua hired. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I just worked as kind of like a director or VP of engineering at different tech stars companies for, for 10 years and, mm-hmm. and ran engineering teams. And so it was through that experience of, I think I hired like something like 40 or 45 engineers through those 10 years at these startups. And, and I just found out how, how broke 
broken recruiting is. I mean, basically, the median recruiter on LinkedIn is just like a $99 LinkedIn subscription plus a bunch of spam in both directions. And then they charge you like 25K when they place an engineer at your company. So me learning to recruit software engineers by just like being outgoing and friendly to them was like Neo in the Matrix. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have to pay a recruiter 30K to like bring them onto my team. I can just Mm -hmm. run a funnel myself. And so... Real, realizing that sort of arbitrage and uh, was another part of the Gitcoin Genesis story. Like people really care about having engineering candidate flow into their organizations. And I would describe that as what we do for the Ethereum ecosystem. We we help engineers find their next opportunity in the Ethereum ecosystem. And without my experience of learning how to recruit engineers at these startups, I don't think Gitcoin would, would exist. So Kevin, I, I see three different things of who you are. One is a software developer. One is a entrepreneur who likes to find business models and make money. And then the third is a, a manager, a CEO leader. Which, which one of those do you think, A, which one of those do you like, uh, three questions actually, which one of those three do you like the most? Which one of those three do you do the most in terms of time? And what do you most personally identify with? I guess that last question was the same as the first, but take that as you will. Right. Um- so, I mean, I think that, you know, all of us have multiple layers to their identity. In addition to being a developer, an entrepreneur, and a manager, I'm also a husband and a father, and I right. play Ultimate Frisbee, and I go to Bluegrass con- concerts. Like, you know, we've all got, like, different parts of our identity that we just, like, display in different times. And, but now but um, now we're contained inside of the professional lens of, of Kevin. Yeah. Alden. Yeah, Yeah. true. I mean, maybe, yeah. Um, I, I think that it, it really... And, Maybe this is maybe this is a, a non-answer, but I mean, I think it just really like depends on what I'm what I'm doing. You know, if I'm in the mood to build and I want to do deep work, then I like software engineer creative mm-hmm. Kevin more than anything. Um, and I actually think when I did Web 2.0 stuff, the the CTO like the engineer was just like the quirky guy that you like hid in the back. It was like the drummer yeah. in the band, <laughs> and and I think it's really cool that in Web three that I can be the CEO instead of just like you know like the guy that the VCs don't talk to and you know, geek is really chic in web three. And so I think that that's really cool. Uh, I spend the geek most is really time chic in web three. That's not the first time you've ever said that before, right? Yeah. I, I I'm not sure it could be, but wow. Uh, nice. But nice you know, it's, it's just like, it's just so, so neat because I, I never thought that I would do CEO stuff. I thought I would like lead engineering teams for the rest of my career. And, mm-hmm. and when Gitcoin raised its round and I was kind of like hanging with multiple VCs, like hanging out on, on Sand Hill road and, and they were into Gitcoin. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is really neat that this world exists where someone who's nerdy and kind of not as charismatic, um, and can, can like do these things. And I actually think it's a prerequisite because if you don't understand the technology, then you really can't be an effective blockchain software. they move so fast that if you're not keeping up with the latest trends, then you're, then you're not effective. But so, uh, when it, when it first started Gitcoin, I was building all the software and I was just kind of rage building a lot of our software and the manager stuff would be on the side. But now it's kind of flipped. Like now I'm I'm doing financial models and spreadsheets and managing and coaching people and 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 I spend most of my day in meetings, but it's still that that acumen, that being able to hang with software engineers that I think informs our roadmap and helps keep us grounded. And so they're they're complementary, all, all three of those, I think. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. And we definitely know that well, A, a we know that this crypto industry is inherently multidisciplinary, right? And especially mm-hmm. in the like bootstrapping phase of this crypto industry in the first, you know, 
first 12 years of Bitcoin and the first like six years of Ethereum, like it's, yeah. there's such a supply glut of talent and labor that like Ethereum will yeah. suck up all the talent and labor possible. And so it really, really yeah. incentivizes and rewards people that can just wear multiple hats, right? Because like totally. there's multiple Generalist. hats that, that need to be worn. Yeah. Well, and, and I think you actually missed one hat within the, the professional mm -hmm. sphere of, of, of Kevin Iwaki is that um, I learned how to community manage, community build mm -hmm. when I moved out to Boulder, Colorado. And Andrew Hyde, at, he's at Unicorn on Twitter, and he really is a unicorn at community building. He invited me to be an organizer at Boulder Startup Week, which is this one week celebration of entrepreneurship and technology every May in Boulder, or at least it was every May before the pandemic. And the way that worked was that you got to run a track. I would run the data science track or the engineering track at Boulder Startup Week. And I would just invite these prominent people to come speak about whatever they were doing. And, and that to me, putting together an event, the hospitality associated with that, getting a hundred people in a room to understand some later, later trend in technology, making them feel welcome, looking them in the eye and shaking their hand as they walked in, making sure they had a good time and then hanging out and vibing with them afterwards. I think that's a really important skill in web three and Andrew Hyde, like if you're out there, thank you so much for, he's like the Yoda to my Obi-Wan when it comes to community building. And so I think that's a really important skill for a web three entrepreneur or just person to have. Yeah. And then I guess like the meta skill is just like straight up, uh, like intellectual curiosity, probably mm. like, or curiosity and just like a desire to, and yeah, a general generalized desire to build. Cause that's, I think that's yeah. what we find across almost everyone, no matter like what domain of crypto they find themselves in is like, everyone's really yeah. curious. Everyone likes to learn and everyone likes to build shit. Yeah, totally. And I think that it, it the, it's 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 almost like a space that through natural selection will weed you out if you don't have those traits because it moves so fast that you're just never going to keep up if you're just punching the clock and and you're not really intellectually curious about all the things that are that are happening but the way i look at it is it's hard not to be intellectually we're reinventing the internet of finance it's incredible. It's an incredibly huge opportunity. I mean, can you imagine going back to like 1997 when the internet was just getting started and, and not trying to learn everything you could and gain every little alpha that you could, the opportunity to reinvent how humanity transfers information was just so large. And you gotta, you really gotta seize that. And I see, I think the opportunity with blockchains could be that big with web three. And so that, that's why I spend a lot of time thinking about, about blockchain and, and, uh, God bless my wife because she, whenever she wants to go on a double date with someone in the, in the other guy is like a sports guy. I'm like, no, find me a crypto guy. Find <laughs> that we can, we can vibe with. <laughs> hey guys, in the second half of the show, we continue the conversation about an increasing rate of change that we are experiencing in Ethereum, in DeFi, and with the power of open source tools. And we also bring up some of the conversations that um, Bankless listeners might have remembered from our Kathy Wood episode about how so many different industries are all hitting uh, new levels of rate of progress innovation. And then I ask and talk to Kevin about what happens when we add a Gitcoin type financial innovation, financial uh, collaboration or capital coordination layer all to all these other industries that aren't just uh, about crypto. We also bring up conversations like the regenerative finance movement, which uh, Kevin started, uh, Kevin coined in the 2020 food token era, as well as some other conversations about how and why Kevin is bullish on humanity, as am I. But before we get into that second half of the show, we, we have to take a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. 
When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you want to make sure that you are getting the best possible price on your trade and that you aren't paying high gas costs that you could have otherwise avoided. That's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha routes your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, and gives you the best possible prices without taking any commissions. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your order across multiple liquidity sources if Matcha sees that it gets you better pricing. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pulls the liquidity for me into a single easy to use platform. Matcha also allows for you to make limit orders on chain so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. New to Matcha is an integrated fiat on-ramp so you can purchase crypto directly with your credit or debit card and have that fiat be instantly traded for any token that has liquidity. When you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. We were talking about like increasing the rate of innovation by making like software and tools more accessible and mm -hmm. you know applying that to both both crypto and and ethereum and then we have um or or you know software outside of, of crypto and then we we're also talking about how like how you just said like if you it, this industry weeds you out if you aren't like intrinsically interested in it because you're not going to keep up mm -hmm. with it and so like yeah. we, and there's also this the uh, idea of like we had like the proof of work fair launch. You, you know the re the reference of the euthanasia roller coaster to all of these like crypto phenomenons that happen. I actually don't. Can you explain? Can you say do, you know, do you know the euthanasia roller coaster? No, I don't. Oh gosh. Okay, so it's a roller coaster that with multiple loop de loops, and it goes up really, mm. really, 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 really high, and then it drops uh -huh. you on the first loop de loop, and then you do like mm. seventeen more loopy loops afterwards, and they get tighter and tighter and tighter uh, and tighter and tighter, and because okay. they get tighter and tighter, the g forces that you get kill you because you have too much juice forces for too long. It's euthanasia roller coaster. Uh, and so I like okay. and so the, the the phenomenon is like uh, is like a, a fractals of fractals of forks of forks of forks of forks, right? When we mm -hmm. saw the twenty thirteen fair launch phenomenon, like mm -hmm. it was a for, it was like just like the twenty twenty DeFi food token summer, which is then just mm -hmm. like like the twenty twenty one profile picture yeah. NFT avatar movement. It's just like something yeah. somebody unlocks something and then like the whole entire crypto industry goes on forks of forks of forks of forks of forks until like yeah. we just bleed out all of the possible energy of that one little phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And so like, okay, so the point of that was to, we were talking about how like this industry weeds people out who aren't like able to yeah. keep up. Then we, we just recently had the whole loot phenomenon, right? And so like loot mm -hmm. launched 
everyone like had this aha moment and then we had forks yeah. off forks off forks of forks of forks and the thing is yeah. like one of the reasons here's the here's the point i'm trying to get to uh <laughs> one of the reasons why the space moves so fast is because the space moves as fast as the fastest person in it yeah whoever's moving the fastest and like like for example dom the guy that did the the loot uh the loot thing or Robert yeah. Leshner with Compound, or like yeah. Will, Will Price and Dan Elitzer and with with Yams. They, mm -hmm. it's always it's like it's like a there's there's that gif of caterpillars that are are crawling over each other as they go forward. So like some right. some caterpillars going on the ground, but some caterpillars crawling on top of that. So as yeah. a unit, they are all collectively traveling faster together. Right. And so, yeah. and so the space moves so fast is because we all maybe, maybe a better metaphor is a Peloton, right? Like, you know, mm. 20 cyclists all in a line, they're all dragging on each other. And then the last yeah. person who's taken the most rest then speeds up to the front and sets the new pace and then it takes turns. And so each, all yeah. these developers with all these open source tools are all taking turns going faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And so like, yeah. that's why a lot of people I think are so inherently like subconsciously bullish on this space is because like the rate of yeah. change isn't going slower it's going faster mm -hmm. and it's because we have yeah. like a open source tools and now open source incentivization to pay for all these yeah. things. Yeah, totally. And, and I think that there's, there's even more multiple levels. Like it's not just caterpillars on caterpillars. I think it's caterpillars on caterpillars on caterpillars. Right. Like, you know, that we're all built. Going, if right. you, if you look at the seven layer stack, it's, you know, all the networking foundation and the chips and all that kind of stuff that we just kind of take for granted. You know, I, I took computer engineering and, in college and I'm not good at low level programming. So thank goodness I don't have to do assembly language stuff, hmm. but there's, there's just so much progress that, and we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. I think it's really, it's really incredible. Um, we, we, uh, Gitcoin and, and Gitcoin DAO is a fork of uni, which is a fork of compound. And so I like to think of what we did is like Robert Leshner sort of, pioneered the the delegation system in compound and i think that hayden and uniswap in a lot of ways pioneered or made popular retroactive distributions mm -hmm. and then what gitcoin did was we did a retroactive distribution and we made it so that you had to delegate when you did your claim of your tokens and that was important because a lot of people don't actually even use their governance tokens we wanted a hundred percent of the consent of the governed. We wanted 100% of people to delegate to someone in the Gitcoin community when they got their airdrop, which is when we had the captive audience. And so I'd like to think that we're all sort of standing on the shoulders of giants and pushing the space forward a very little bit on top of that, which hopefully enables the next cycle of innovation. And, you know, I would never compare what we did to like what Dom did or what Yam Yam did, but uh, I think the space is expanding in many different directions at different magnitudes at, at a time. And it's always excited when that when there's that new punctuated equilibrium where you see a new idea in a, in a new light and it enables that cascading bit of innovation. Yeah, it feels like there's always that like slime mold metaphor, right? Like you've seen like slime mold, like try and find new food in like sped up terms. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's searching in like 50 directions at once, then it finds mm -hmm. food and all the directions it wasn't searching in are redirected to that new food source. And then it goes again, mm -hmm. again from there. And it's kind of like the natural way to have like maximize, yeah. maximize progress. Yeah, you're a big biomimicry guy. I'm realizing as we're having this conversation, lots of natural metaphors to the web space, web three space, oh, yeah. sort of expanding in yeah. this new design space. Oh yeah, that, that's my shtick. Yeah, no, well, a metaphors are like scaffolding for learning and understanding, and therefore conversation. Do you just have uh, a metaphor about a metaphor? That was. <laughs> that was, that was <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. That's a really good know. point. Yes, I did. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it, well, all, it also allows for conversation to happen faster and more precisely, mm -hmm. right? Like, ju just yeah. like, oh my God, this is great. Just like how, like, rather than having to build something for scratch, I can just go into the library of your own brain and pull out a metaphor yeah. of like a Peloton so I don't have to explain yeah. as much stuff. It's the same thing if it's, we can make the conversation move faster. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I'm a pretty verbose guy, so I'm going to take a page out of your book. Uh, but I also just really like nature. I mean, I am out in Colorado and I have to show Colorado really quick, just the beautiful mm -hmm. sun and uh, sunshine and the way the natural ecosystem out here. Had, it's it's just it's, it's there's something refreshing to your soul about spending time in nature. And so I think it, it's a source of inspiration on multiple levels to draw from that. Yeah. Yeah. Civilization or like the order imposed by nation states is like Hey, there's that nature thing, but like we're gonna find a way to for you so you don't to have to live in it, right? Like we're gonna give you like asphalt pavement streets and and like lights that light up at night. But yeah, you know, Colorado, mm -hmm. Washington, uh, the, all the like the outdoorsy cities or outdoorsy places. Yeah. It's just like it feels like it's just easier to live more harmoniously with nature. I actually um, so. I have to tell you, I've been on Bankless podcasts maybe four or five times, and I think it's at this point that I have to reveal to you all my secret, which is that I'm not much of a, I'm not much of a cyberpunk. Um, I consider myself to be a little bit more of a solar punk than a cyberpunk. And it's because I am just really inspired by the solar punk art and the philosophy of humanity evolving past its contemporary challenges, whether that be climate change or misinformation or cancer and all these different things that exist out there. And so, um, the cyberpunk ethos, which is like very like anti-nation state and, and about the independence of of cyberspace you know the, i vibe with that on a software engineer level and there are things about it that i appreciate and i think are really interesting but i i would consider myself to be a solar punk more than a cyberpunk and it's because i think we need these we need some sort of web scale coordination and we need to work together as as humanity and as a planet in order to move past these global these global public goods problems that we have one day so i hope i'll still get invited back if i don't identify as much as a cyberpunk well, can you define for me and the listeners what a solar punk is? Because this is the first I've heard of it. Yeah, for sure. So um, I've actually been tweeting a little bit uh, about solar punk. It's an art movement that envisions how the future of humanity would look if we solve major, major contemporary challenges, like with an emphasis on sustainability stuff like climate change and pollution. Um, and so basically like integration with nature and, 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 and sustainability for the planet and for, for people is kind of the, the vibe of the movement. But if you Google solar punk, you will see a lot of really beautiful art that has humanity integrated with the environment that they, they are in. This is insane. Yeah. Okay. So this is like that, uh, that meme about like, if society is like society, if like this was like that. Right. Like society, mm -hmm. if I, I can't remember a good one, but like there's there's that one society meme, society meme template. Right. Society, if <laughs> oh, I don't know that meme. Oh, yeah, that's right. Society, if we have solved if we had solved public goods. Sure. Yeah, yeah that's exactly, exactly right. That's exactly, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm going for. But yeah. Um, OK, yeah. No, I will. As a guy who like plants, who likes plants and architecture, this is uh, yeah. exactly what my vibe I is. Just, I just solar punk pilled you, David. You, yeah, no, I forgot absolutely. how much of a plant guy you are. I can't believe we haven't talked about this. Yeah, no, uh, this is really cool. This is exactly that, what I want society to look did, like. Did that website just call it Hope Punk? Oh, uh, I did not. Uh, which one? That's pretty, uh, that's, one that's pretty funny. On? I'm not sure. It's one you just clicked through. I, I think that that's a funny name for it. I think it's it. this one. But 
Hope, but, hope um, punk. Yeah, it did. Wow, that's great. Hope punk. Yeah. It's harder and to so, say. You know, like I'm a little bit of a hippie. I'll just I'll just come out and say it. And so, you know, oh, I do think that there are there I are places. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and, and and I think there are times in which the nation state is. It, there are people in the nation state that are genuinely trying to solve mm-hmm. global coordination failures or nation-wide coordination failures, and it's just a, such a shame that there are other people that are used trying to use the nation state to oppress people and to mm-hmm. corrupt people and to basically milk the system for government contracts and freedom to their, for their friends and cronies. And so, you know, like, wouldn't it be great if there was a transparent, immutable, programmable, incorruptible basis for finance and for governance that we could actually trust its ability to coordinate because we could expect it, it, inspect the code. Like the, right. the solution is not less coordination. It's coordination on a more solid foundation so that we can solve these contemporary problems sure. and and that's not always against nation states but sometimes and maybe many times it is sure yeah I, I would summarize like the biggest the big problems of the nation state is like it's fantastic coordination infrastructure and it's because it's fantastic coordination infrastructure uh, the entity that is most likely to leverage that fact is going to leverage it for personal profit or for oppression or power or control and then mm-hmm. that drowns out the people that want to leverage that the coordinating power of the nation state for public goods. Yeah. Well, I'd say that, like, you know, it's good coordination infrastructure if you're someone who's well connected and can mm-hmm. pull the levers. But if you're someone who's poor, then there's an information asymmetry because it's not transparent. There's no open source code right. that you can that you can um, take a look at. So there's an information asymmetry that comes out of that. And then there's also just like it's not incorruptible. So basically, um, you know, and this is the problem with like Web2 companies. Right. So like Travis, I forget his last name, the, the Uber CEO, basically can go into a city, can give all of the drivers really great wages, can give all the consumers discount to attract them. And then they hit a network effect where every new driver that joins the Uber network makes it better for every rider and every rider makes it better for every driver. And the cycle just circles itself. That's called network effects. Mm -hmm. And then they get inevitable and they stop trying to attract the drivers and the riders and they start extracting from them so that they they can pull more profits out of the system. So that's a corruptible system. And what's great about Web3 is that we can build incorruptible systems where like if Kevin Owaki turns evil one day, then Gitcoin can still be fulfilling its mission because, well, we're still working on decentralizing, but you know, eventually <laughs> we'll be on this like decentralized, mm-hmm. immutable sort of substrate for our coordination. And so you won't have to rely. It's 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 can't be evil instead of don't be evil. And I think that's a that's a huge part of it. So with uh, earlier, I asked you like, uh, what's the maximally successful version of the world where like open source software is funded in uncorruptible ways and all the good thing that happens. What's the thing that keeps you up at night? That's like nightmare fuel for like why that will never happen. Um, I'm pretty <laughs> well. Running a startup is, is what does Elon Musk say? It's like chewing glass and staring into the abyss. Eventually, you stop. You, you never stop staring, but eventually, you, the chewing doesn't hurt so much. Um, I'm butchering that quote, but that's how I kind of feel mm-hmm. about about running something as big and ambitious as Gitcoin. But um, the thing that keeps me up at the end of the night is like, even if I do a really great job running Gitcoin, then I don't know where the regulatory regime in the United States is going to land. And there's so much gray area that it, it really, really keeps me up at night. And so I, I don't know where we're going to land on that. But I hope that that Wall Street and Washington see that DeFi and crypto is something to embrace instead of trying to fight the future. So 
that's something that keeps me up at night. And, and I really want to be a part of changing the story about what crypto is. I think that people see these stories about volatility and they see about, about gambling. And mm -hmm. I don't think that they realize that we could solve our web scale coordination problems with, right. with crypto because it's such a more solid foundation for that. And I have some, I have a couple aces up my sleeve about telling that story to the general public that we may, we may see in the next couple of years. But uh, I think public opinion about crypto and telling them about public goods and coordination is, is a role that I would hopefully like to see Gitcoin play in the long term. hopefully yeah. but leading by example. Yeah. It, it's weird that like everyone in crypto who everyone who's in crypto is like by proxy crypto's marketing division, like, Crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum, they don't have marketing divisions. They have mm. people like, you know, Anthony at the Daily Gway or Bankless or like what Bitcoin did. Yeah. Like that's and like, or all of the like individual zealots like like you who just say, hey, there's this Ethereum thing, it's really cool. And like mm. it's weird that like everyone in crypto is like, yeah, this crypto thing is dope. Uh, mm. and then everyone like and yet somehow the narrative is like it's for drugs and criminals. Uh, you're going to lose all your money. Like crypto has the simultaneous brand of like, it's going to make you rich and it's going to make you broke. Except one yeah. is always true. And one is like, well, yeah, yeah you, you aped into like something stupid and you got all, and you got an yeah. exploit. Right. Like, and, and so like we haven't been able to like control our own narrative Our the narrative of what, of what crypto is still comes from the outside in. And like that, yeah. that is my a concern that I have. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was, and I remember when I was in the nineties and like the joke was always that the internet was just for porn, you know? <laughs> and so, and, and people who were, who were spinning that narrative were either entrenched interests or they were just, they were just ignorant about what the internet had to offer. And eventually you don't, hear people say that anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that it's inevitable that we'll move past those type of narratives, but it, it certainly is there. It, it is misinformed. And, and I don't know how, how to really bridge that gap because, well, I'm a computer scientist, not a, not a communications and marketing person, but I hope that someone figures it out. I'm, I'm really thankful for the work that, that coin center is doing in helping inform our lawmakers about crypto and you know that's a public good for all of crypto totally. lobbying the the government totally yeah uh not to not to stay too much more on the night, nightmare fuel thing but like the internet didn't have the problem of like invading the world of finance and like the banking system mm. like there's no there's no more entrenched player than like the banking system right it's like oh the internet's just for porn and then yeah all dudes in the world are like oh really Nice. <laughs> but then yeah. that was a joke. Um, but then like, it's different when like crypto comes along and it's like crypto, all it's good for is like, you know, disrupting Wall Street and banks and all the, you know, the money of the world's like, uh Oh, yeah, I don't like that. And so that is a different yeah. a, uh, history rhymes doesn't doesn't exactly repeat. And that is a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's like, try to take yourself back 30 years. Um, I don't actually know if you could do that, David. No, I, I couldn't. Because I couldn't. I'm an elder millennial. <laughs> but um, it, like newspapers were the way people got their information. And so it was not even cable news back then. And mm. so you had a lot of entrenched interests that were forming public opinion back then, too, maybe on a slower, slower speed and scale. But the world has changed a lot in 30 years. And I think a lot of technology is inevitable. And so you fight it at your own at your own peril. I'm remembering the record industry of America suing all of its customers because it's business model is being eroded as a counterexample of what to do. And they caused a lot of pain to a lot of people in the short term, but in the long term, they, they certainly lost out. Sure. 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 Kevin, can you rate Ethereum over the last 
This is, this is going to be a terribly imprecise question. Rate, <laughs> rate Ethereum over the over its lifetime, over its last six years, as to how well it could have made Moloch retreat versus how well it actually did that. Yeah. Should we explain to your listeners what Moloch is before I answer that question? Sure. You want me to? You want you want to go? Uh, we could vibe back and forth. Why don't right. you start though? Okay. Moloch is, is the god of coordination failure, but he's basically the simple example as to why humans can't have nice things. And the reason why humans can't have nice things is because we do it to ourselves because the more, more a bunch of people all agree that we're going to do something that is beneficial for all of us, the more it rewards a single defector to go against that, that alignment, right? Uh, right? And then as soon as one person says like, well, I'm gonna let all the other people agree and not do the thing that harms us collectively, but instead, instead benefits the individual, I'm just going to mm -hmm. be the only individual that does that thing. Uh, and then somebody right. sees him do that or her do that. And they're like, well, they're doing it. So I'm going to do it. And then that just repeats until we're all back at the same state that we started on. So it's basically why yeah. we can't have agreement and alignment towards working towards systems or things or outcomes that we would all want such sure. as climate change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like the example I think of when I think of Moloch is cancer. So basically you've got a bunch of cells that are harmoniously working for the whole in your body. And one of them decides to defect instead of coordinate with all the other cells, it starts becoming cancerous. And that just basically means that it's consuming resources and it's, it's reproducing itself more than the others. And it eventually chokes off resources to the cells that are coordinating. And that's why cancer is, is so nefarious is that is 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 sort of the resource consumption game and the misaligned incentives associated with that and right, so, right. We so see there's this like in, a, there's like a holistic body and then all these cells yeah. are aligned and working towards a common goal and then one cell yeah. is like fuck you guys i'm gonna i'm gonna reprioritize for myself and i'm gonna get myself as large as possible and propagate yeah. only myself yeah for sure and you know it's possible to like make this into a moral thing and like in, on some level it is but like I don't know. I, I, I flew an airplane to ETCC and like hung out with you. So, you know, I was polluting the environment by doing that. And so, you know, that I, I, I'm someone who buys carbon credits and I think that that's an important thing to do is just try to stay as carbon neutral as possible. But I think that, you know, it's, it's really hard on a global scale to get people to, to remedy their, um, they're, they're sort of like defections from the whole. And, and one of the things that's really powerful about Ethereum is that you can you have transparency at the base layer, you've got a mutability at the base layer, and a lot of people are really excited about the idea that we can build better coordination systems, uh, identify defectors sooner, and just build less externalities into the financial system, which will help slay Moloch. Uh, Miyu, uh, Amin, Soleimani, and, and Ryan did a podcast called Slaying Moloch, which you all should check out on Bankless if you want to mm -hmm. know more background on the on the question but yeah so what was the question how good yeah. has ethereum been at slaying moloch so mm -hmm. far yeah like basically how on a scale of zero as in we didn't do anything in 10 as in we did all of the things that we could have done and we could have like been very proud about what we did where do we fall on that spectrum um i think that the much of the moloch slaying energy of the ethereum network blockchain or at large is in the form of potential energy thus far and not kinetic energy which is a little little physics reference there which is just <laughs> saying it's like 
the spring is coiled and it could it could happen but only if we choose to because all coordination is a choice i am really encouraged to see lots of people in the ethereum space support public goods on gitcoin support open source software and we've got something like 10 million dollars in the gitcoin treasury for public goods and 50 million dollars if you think that akita coins have have value which is like a whole nother thing but um i'm I'm really encouraged that people want to give back to the the ethereum public goods we've got multiple epns is an example ethereum push notification service they started off in gitcoin kernel they raised money with a gitcoin grant and then they raised vc money several months later and now they're giving back to gitcoin's matching pool so like full cycle Mm -hmm. of like Mm -hmm. the virtuous cycle of ethereum we're have they given back more than they've than they uh had donated i think they have i don't know the exact number but i think they have um and so so like this is actually the meme that came out of you know speaking of the uh of the infinite caterpillar or whatever you said like when yam finance launched and and this whole degen wave started happening with vegetable farming i started uh memeing with a couple other people about about how degen was a thing and now we need to make regen a thing so what if we had regen finance a financial system that sort of gets better over time and i'm really happy to say that we're seeing multiple projects uh coordinate clr fund optimism gitcoin doing good regen network there's just a bunch of people under the radar that are working on regen stuff and and are like legit builders that are doing it and so i'm really excited for you know we we had icos and then we had DAOs, and then we had nfts and like we'll probably have web3 social networks and then we'll have DAOs again and then we'll have nfts again but like when we get to the level where people are aping into public goods that is that is when we've met the full potential um so i don't know if i answered your question but i think most of the potential is ahead of us well, the, the point of the question was to <laughs> trigger an argument or excuse, trigger a conversation. I didn't really care about a number or anything. <laughs> so, sure. so yes, you did. Um, but like, I, I also want you to open up and explain uh, regen, uh, regen finance a little bit more because, um, mm. uh, yeah, it just uh, go into further details as to what that actually is. Yeah, totally. So basically, I mean, it's just a meme and, you know, a lot of memeing is trying to take what's in the zeitgeist and to repurpose it for something that you can just you can just vibe on. But um, I, I guess like the best way that I can explain it is through this idea that I learned from Yancy Strickler. He's the founder of Kickstarter, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna share my screen real quick and just mm-hmm. show you what I'm talking about. There's this thing called um, basically bentoism, and the idea is that. Um, instead of just making decisions that are good for you now, instant gratification, um, what if we extended those incentives into a bento box of incentives? Uh, and the first axis is self-interest to others' interests. So basically, what if we made decisions that instead were just good, uh, instead of just being good for now me, are good for now us? So like making decisions that are good for me and you, David, and Ethereum at writ large, and then extending that out to the world itself. And then the other axis is time. So what if we created more anti-fragility by instead of having our incentives be about now me, but also being future me, three months from now me, three years from now me, I'm going to take a drag of a cigarette because it might give me a little buzz for the next 10 minutes, but what does that do for future me and for, for future us? And so to me, DGEN finance is just thinking about instant gratification um, and only thinking about yourself. And then regen finance is building a bento box financial system that rewards people with a long-term time horizon 
and rewards them for coordinating with each other. And that's what I hope that with a transparent, immutable, programmable system that we that we evolve past the decentralized casino stage. Like that's just the bootloader. And then we eventually build a regenerative finance system that doesn't externalize that that uh, has a long term time horizon. So when I heard uh, you explain to me region finance, I got uh, an image of like people aping into like DeFi apps, right? This was that came around during like the the food farm fork mania, right? Uh, yep. And then part of the social contract of a lot of those like new uh, DeFi food app farms, whatevers, was to actually repurpose money back into Gitcoin, right? Like we would yep. commit X amount of money towards funds, right? And and this is yep. like part of like the the inevitable ways that you know Ethereum can like slay Moloch, right? Like by, if yeah. we can keep on funding a ourselves and then only actually allow for funding to go into places that fund other public goods, we can repurpose yeah. the energy, uh, the energy of like to ape and like have that to, uh, <laughs> to ape into like good things. Right. And this is yeah. like one of those, the fundamental shifts that Ethereum we all hope brings to the world is like, you can act in your self-interest and by definition you are acting in this, in the, uh, self-interest of everyone else and their future selves in, in moving into the forward and, and committing to that as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's been really promising to see that. And I'm super thankful to Andre from Urine Finance for starting that wave. I remember oh, yeah. there was a couple of vegetable forks that were going to do it and their community really revolted when they were, they were like, you know, we're not giving that 2% to public goods. And then Andre from Urine did it. And all of a sudden it was the cool thing to do. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it's, it's been a thing that's ebbed and flowed in the in the ecosystem, and I'm lucky to say right now we have eight Gitcoin grants rounds future funded. So, in if the market turns bare, then we want to be the pilot light that keeps the mark the the ecosystem alive through the next market cycle. And couldn't have done it I without the for. community supporting that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So somehow there's a connection here to going back to what we were saying about like the accelerating rate of uh, innovation and and progress, right? Like. If we yeah. can, if we have this flywheel going where like we can allow for products to get funding and then those products become profitable and then those products send money back to Gitcoin to fund more projects and then all of a sudden like the, this flywheel turns and turns and turns, boom, we have like a self-sustaining uh, econ economy with self-sustaining funding for developers to build more mm -hmm. of the tools. We just came out of the podcast with uh, Kathy Wood. Uh, we're recording this mm -hmm. on, on the Monday with that, where that Kathy Wood episode dropped. If you didn't listen to it, the gist of it is that like there are so many different technologies hitting their like uh, their peaks of their S curve of adoption. Right? We got mm -hmm. AI, crypto, like gene editing, like uh, energy storage. Yeah. Uh, I'm missing one, but like all of these things are hitting their biggest points of like progress and innovation, their speediest points, all at the same time. And like these things can all interact with each other, right? And so it's it's compounding progress upon compounding progress, and it's kind of why, why it, uh, it may, I'm like with Kathy Wood in the sense that like the future is like there's so much left to be built. Like we don't have autonomous cars yet, but it is still yeah. so close. There's so many things that are so futuristic that we don't have yeah. at all today, and it's only a few years away. Yeah. Yeah, it's really it's really pretty incredible. Um, I was worried for a second you were going to bring up the metaverse, and then I was going to freeze because I don't know what that is. But um, <laughs> I, I, I think that um, you know the the crazy thing is that it's only going to be obvious in retrospect. You can't predict. Right. Right. You, like you can use first principles and try to think into the future a, a little bit and you can create allegories, but like 
who would have predicted Google in 1990? Like the idea of a search engine that could search all of the world's information back then was totally foreign. And this this sort of point in which we're going to pass where AI and virtual reality and blockchain and gene editing and mm. all this stuff goes forward is I, I just think that we're going to look back in 2050 and say, oh my gosh, they didn't know what they had coming in 2021 yeah. because it's, it's accelerating exponentially rate of change. Yeah. And like not only are all of these things uh, having, they're going through like their own like massive acceleration of innovation, but like think about all the different surface areas behind all of these technologies, right? Like combine yeah. crypto and AI, combine AI and energy storage, create like mm. can put an incentivization layer, which is crypto behind all yeah. of these technologies. They're like, one of the reasons I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but really, really bullish and optimistic about the future is that like mm. not only are each of these industries like their own like massive like job engine growth economic engine growth like sectors but, like the yeah. intersections of all of these things also generate their own permutations of possible things to build or teams to fund or innovation to be had um, mm -hmm. and I think if Gitcoin can play its card right, cards right it can uh, have play the role of um, helping facilitate and capitally coordinate capital coordinate to help all of these intersections and all of these industries be built out. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Um, I, I published a post a, a few weeks ago about what Gitcoin could be one day, and I and I think that you know one of the one of the sort of possible eventualities I I call uh, the Epcot of the metaverse, um, which is like Epcot stands for Experimental Community of Tomorrow, and you know when I hear of it as a U.S. citizen in 2020, I think of Epcot, which is the Disney one, which was built in the 50s in their vision of tomorrow. But if you think about experimental community of tomorrow as of 2021, if you get a bunch of builders and a bunch of capital and you put them all together, then hopefully you get prototypes of what the future will be. And there's like, and I want to bring this back to layer zero. Um, and because I, I do think that uh, a world in which that is all being done for the public good is much different from one in which it's just the ultra rich that have access to those technologies. And, and this is kind of like the ultimate vision of Gitcoin is, is to create middle-class jobs for software engineers by giving them access to bleeding edge technologies and opportunities at that, but also having the whole system be governed by the people that it serves. So that it's not just this extractive thing that, that the, that like only Silicon Valley or wall street can, can really get the, the gains of. And so hopefully if we're right, we'll create this virtuous cycle in which we're helping builders find all of these technologies, advance their career, advance the planet, create a more solar punk future, future and and like and like you named this podcast perfectly it's layer zero it's all it's about the people um it's about the everyday people not just the rich people and um and i think that that's it's just like it the future could be so beautiful but we have to coordinate towards that and i think that that's what keeps me up and gets me working on ethereum every day and keeps me working on gitcoin through through all the chewing glass and and staring into the abyss is that we can really create a better future with this technology but we have to choose to do it we have to coordinate in order to do it mm -hmm. and kevin i think with that that is a fantastic place to end this particular episode of layer zero thanks for having me david thanks for coming on man Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. 
You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.